Friends, I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to be back in Genesis not just this week, but for the next three months together, unpacking what the Lord has to say to us in Genesis 1 to 3 about who we are, how He's made us. This morning, uh, this morning I want us to take up one of the most important questions that's ever been asked. It's a, a, one of the core questions for philosophy. Questions that ought to matter to everybody out there, whether you consider yourself to be religious or not. It's really one of the questions. I wonder if you've asked it before. Why is there something rather than nothing? You ever wondered about that? Uh, maybe you haven't. I wouldn't necessarily blame you if you haven't. I mean, we got enough to worry about, right? Making the most of or just trying to get through this life we're living in this world. And when you're young, it's easy to put on all your focus and all your effort into building the sort of life that you want to see for yourself. You know, brick by brick, adding up the training that you'll need and the, and the, the relationships that you hope for and the opportunities and accomplishments that you'll need to turn all those dreams into reality. When you're young, it's... it's it's easy to just focus on what's still ahead of you in this world and to go for it with all you've got. You get a little bit older, it's tough to look up from maintaining whatever house you've managed to build out of your life. You know, now you've got all these responsibilities that you've been aiming for. Now you're just rushing through each day from one responsibility to another, carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. And no matter what age you may be, it's tough to live where we do and not have your head turned day in, day out by all the things you might want to buy in this world. This world has an incredibly powerful magnetic force for our minds, our attention, our hearts, and our affections. And so I don't blame you necessarily if you never stop to think, why is this world here in the first place? Maybe it feels like a luxury to stop and step back and consider a question like that one. But friends, I want to encourage you this morning that it's worth the effort. It will take effort, but it's worth it. This is the kind of question that can shake you up and then settle you back down again into what really matters and into who you really are. Christianity offers to us a beautiful and a unique answer to this age-old question that you won't find anywhere else. Why is there something rather than nothing? Christianity answers, because God is love. There is something rather than nothing. This world exists because God is love. I want to simply explain that answer to you from the Bible this morning. But first, a little bit of orientation. Uh, this is a series about what it means to be human. I've mentioned that already. I'll be mentioning that over and over again in the weeks to come. We're drawing from the first three chapters of the book of Genesis, but in a different way than we normally would in our preaching times here on Sunday mornings. We're not going verse by verse through every verse in the first three chapters of Genesis and considering them in order. Rather, we're considering the first three chapters of Genesis like a masterpiece on the wall of an art museum. And my role as a preacher in these sermons is going to be to sort of play a tour guide, to step back with you, to look at the masterpiece and to pull from it different aspects of it you might not have noticed before. Different things from that picture that speak directly to who you are, to what it means to be human. So we'll be coming over some of the same texts multiple times to pull out different threads from them week by week. Now, 
these first couple of weeks together are laying a foundation we're going to build on later. They're setting some of the main themes that are going to come up over and over again in the weeks ahead. Last week, what we said was that everything that exists that isn't God exists simply because God decided to create and sustain this world that isn't him. It's all about him. Everything that has life owes that life to God completely. That's what we covered last week. But why did he create anything? Why did he choose to give life to anything that isn't him? Genesis chapter 1 is the beginning of the Bible's answer to that question. Hopefully you found that by now. I want to invite you, if you're able, to stand with me in honor of God's word. And I'm just going to read the entire first chapter of Genesis. And the first few verses rather of chapter 2 before we dive into them together this morning. Friends, this is God's word to us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, And there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation. Plants yielding seed and fruit-bearing trees in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening 
And there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply it. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he'd done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he'd done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. First point this morning. First part of the Bible's answer to why there is something rather than nothing is this. The world exists not because God needs it to exist, but because God wants it to exist. Point one. The world exists not because God needs it to exist, but because God wants it to exist. The world exists because it pleased him that it should be here. Here's another way to put it. God loved the world into being. Sometimes the best way to see what a text means is to see it back in its own time, in its own historical context, and compare it to what was expected back then or what was going on around God's people when the text was written, when it was first responding Genesis wasn't written in a vacuum. Think about Genesis chapter 1 as taking up an argument. Think about Genesis chapter 1 as picking a fight with the main ways of understanding the world that were common around Israel at the time that this was written. Back then, when Genesis 1 was first written, Israel's pagan neighbors had a totally different view of where things came from than the one we just read together. The pagan gods were super, super needy. They were just... Not quite helpless, but full of holes. Probably the most famous ancient creation story besides the the one here in Genesis, the the one that, that Israel would have been comparing this story to, was one from Babylon called the Enuma Elish. 
It was a story about one God killing another God, using the corpse of that God that he'd killed to fashion the world, and then deciding to populate this world made out of the the corpse of the dead God with humans because they needed a slave labor force to do the work that they hoped to see done. This God created humans because he needed slaves to work the land. And then life in the world from that point forward, the way the pagans thought about it, followed the same pattern. These gods were always needing something. They needed help in battle. They needed food in their bellies. They needed more and more and more and more. These gods raised up humans as a crop that they could harvest for their own benefit. Pagan gods created because they had to, because they needed to help. But for Genesis, for Israel, things are radically different. Because before there was anything else, we saw this last week, there was God. In the beginning, God was there. And he was good. He was good. Completely independent. Needing nothing. So when God decides to create, it's to share the joy that he already had in himself with those who wouldn't be there to enjoy it otherwise. He overflows. It's not from a gap, but from a fullness All through the Bible, you can see God pushing back on the assumption that he's like the gods of the pagans. Listen to what Psalm 50 says. Psalm 50 says, this is the Lord speaking, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, the Lord says, I would not tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. You see the contrast there to the way the pagans thought about their gods? That's ex- you are exactly who those pagan gods would come to if they needed something. You exist there to, to be there for them when they needed something. Not this God. Listen to Psalm 147. He covers the heavens with the clouds, the psalmist says. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He brings food out of nothingness. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight's not in the strength of a horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man. He doesn't need us for strength. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him and those who hope in his steadfast love. You see that? There's no gap here that he needs us to fill. He fills the gaps. He gives to us, not the other way around. Or listen, just one more example to how Paul sums this up. In his famous sermon to a pagan audience in Acts chapter 17. The God who made the world and everything in it, Paul says. Being the Lord of heaven and earth. Doesn't live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. This theme right here that you'll find all through the Bible, it starts in Genesis chapter 1. Did you see it? Category by category, God speaks all of creation into being. Of course we're seeing his power on display here. He says, let there be light, and bam, there's light. He says, let there be humans, and bam, there's humans. He speaks, and what he wants is done. But we're seeing a whole lot more than his power here. Behind this power, guiding this power that brings nothingness into being, from nothing into something, is not exploitation. It's not desperation. It's his desire for the life of the world and his delight in what he has made. Think of him as saying, I want there to be light. And there is. 
I want there to be land, and there it is. I want there to be birds and fish and animals. And then you can see his delight in how he responds after he's made what he's made. When his desire leads to reality, he looks at it and he says, Oh, that's good. That's good. He takes delight in what he has made. Can you see this? Why is there something rather than nothing? God created the world for love. He loves the world into being. And you see it at the end of the, at the very end of Genesis chapter 1, when he's summing up what he's done. He's saying, look, I've given everything that lives the food that it needs to live. To every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, this is verse 30, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. Now, this is a series about what it means to be human. We're not looking at creation in general, picking apart every detail of this passage, as much fun as that would be to do. We're looking at the creation of the world because we're part of the world that God created and we need to see ourselves in this bigger picture. So what do we need to see about ourselves from what we've said so far? What we've said so far is that the world only exists because God loved the world into being. He didn't create it because he needed some resource to tap into, but because it delighted him to make this world and to provide. What do we see about ourselves from what we've said so far? Well, friends, in the pagan world, for Israel's neighbors, humans exist because the gods needed them. In Genesis and throughout the Bible, humans exist because God loves them. Let me make this more personal. Your worth as a person comes from the fact that God wanted you to be alive. That you even exist is a sign that God loves you. In a way, what I've said so far about God not needing anything, just making, because he, making this world because he wanted to, in a way, it is really humbling, and I won't protect you from that blow. It does mean that, that you're not the center of the universe, and I'm not either, and if God didn't have us here, he'd be totally fine. God just is. He can live without you and me, and that's a humbling message that you're not likely to find on any motivational poster out there. And maybe hearing that message, you're thinking, well, wait a second. You're saying whether I exist or not doesn't really matter. Sounds like. As if God's just indifferent to me and I'm insignificant to him. But no, friends, just the opposite is true. It's true that God doesn't look on us and say, you complete me. This isn't that kind of love story. But it's also true that God looks on every one of you and says, you delight me. Your life, which I created, is good. And that means that your life matters because it delighted God to give you life. It pleases God that you exist. Otherwise, you wouldn't. He doesn't need you to be. He wants you to be. Think about your life to God as more like a bowl of ice cream than a plate of kale. Don't push this too far. I don't know how well this one works. But you force down the kale because you have to. You got to have it. You need those vitamins and minerals. 
Did you eat a bowl of Ben and Jerry's just for the pure delight of tasting it? Not because you have to have it, but because it's good to have it. You want to have it. It delights you to have it. That's you. To the Lord of the universe. Your life is not an accident. It's not a product of random chance. It's a delight to the God of all creation. That's good news, friends. Why does this world exist? Why is there something rather than nothing? How did we all get here? What we said so far is that the world exists because God wants it to. He didn't raise this world like a farmer raises a crop because he needs to harvest it and consume it. He didn't need for us to exist. The world exists because it delighted God to make it, which raises another question and the second point for us this morning. We're saying that God, the world exists because God wanted it to, but, but why did God want the world to exist? It only exists because he wanted it to, not because he needed it to. Why did he want it to in the first place? And the answer that the Bible gives to us is that the only reason God wanted this world to exist, the reason it delights him that it's here, is because God wanted to share the most precious gift there is, the gift of himself. God created the world and you and me to show how wonderful he is. Point two this morning. God wants the world to exist to share his glory with others. All through the Bible, where you see creation come up, right alongside, talk about creation, you'll see writers talking about the glory of God that comes through creation. And you'll see writers talking about the call to praise him for that glory when you see it. Listen to Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. The sky above declares his handiwork. See, through the beauty and the majesty of this world, God is showing how wonderful he is. Listen to Paul's words in Romans 11, 35 and 36. This is Paul's little praise song at the end of his, near the end of his letter. Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Take that, pagans. God didn't need a gift. Instead, all things from him and through him and to him are all things. And Paul's conclusion, to him be the glory forever and ever. He needs nothing. All things are already from him and to him. What's left then? Give him glory for what is. Or Revelation 4.11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. You were free. It was just your own will that drove this world into being. Glory be to you. You see the pattern? Isaiah 43 makes a point out of it for us as humans. God there says, he's speaking to all who are called by his name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made for my glory. Friends, this takes us straight into the purpose for which you were made. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 shows us where we come into this picture as humans. Psalm 19 says that the heavens are telling of the glory of the Lord. We read that one a minute ago. Whether we ever look up and wonder at the stars or the sunset or the puffy white clouds, God's glory is there. It's visible. 
But God wants more than just for it to be there. He wants us to see it. He wants us to know what we're looking at and to love it. He wants us to praise him for it. This is what Habakkuk 2.14 says. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Full not just of the glory of the Lord, but with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. With knowers who understand what they're looking at and give praise to God like Paul has done. So, so let me make sure this is clear. Here's, maybe this is what you're thinking. You're saying that, that, that God created me to stand back and look at how awesome he is. The whole purpose of us being here is to show how great God is and I'm just supposed to, to echo that back to him? And that's my life? I mean, I, I thought you said he didn't need anything. This sounds pretty needy to me. Sounds like he made the whole world just to show off, just to get praise. And my mama said people who are always drawing attention to themselves are usually the most insecure people of all. I've known people like that. Have you? But friends, with God, it's different. He draws attention to his goodness and his power and his beauty. And he calls on us to see it and to praise him for it. Not to fill in some gap in his ego, but to share with us his joy in himself. He calls attention to his glory, his beauty, his power. And calls on us to see it and to know it and to praise him for it. Because he wants to give to us the satisfying treasure we can't get anywhere else. When, when you see the Bible talking about creation being full of the glory of the Lord, put here to display his glory, I want you to think about the whole world, including your own life, as a massive billboard, an invitation, a sales pitch for the most satisfying treasure that you can't get anywhere else. If God were like us, it would be wrong of him to act and talk like he does in his word. But I love the way that Pastor John Piper gets at the difference. The difference between God talking about his glory, projecting it, calling us to see it and to praise him for it. The difference between him doing that and, and one of us doing that. John Piper writes, God's self-exaltation is utterly different from all human self-exaltation. When humans exalt themselves, they call attention to something that can never satisfy the people they want to impress. They call attention to themselves. For humans, self-exaltation is typically a way of getting, not giving. A way of using people, not serving them. That's what's happening when we draw attention to ourselves and ask others to praise us. We're serving us. But God aims to give enjoyment to all who will have him as their treasure. God is the one being in the universe for whom self-exaltation is a form of love. The pagan gods created humans to take from them. God Almighty created humans to give of himself for their glory, for his glory and for their joy. Now why would I go here in a series on what it means to be human? Why talk about creation as being here to display the glory of God for the praise of God through the humans that he made. Friends, it's simple. Until you know why there's something rather than nothing, 
until you know why you're here in the first place. You can't really know what you're here for. As a human, you need to know what fuel you run on. What's made to keep you going in life in this world. What's made to satisfy and to nourish you. Are you a Tesla or a Mustang? You were made to enjoy God forever and to praise Him for the glory that He shares now with you as His gift. Other parts of creation reflect His beauty, but you were made to know it and to savor it. That's His gift to you. Friends, so many times we'll simply enjoy the gift, the good thing in this world that, that, that turns our heads, that, 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 that draws us in. So many times we'll just enjoy it for the moment that we have it and then move on to the next thing still hungry after. If you just enjoy the gifts that God has filled this world with without ever seeing the giver who stands behind them, it's like tasting a delicious steak, just popping it in your mouth and getting the flavor, maybe chewing on it a couple times and spitting it out again. You get a little bit of the sweetness of it, the tastiness of it. You get none of the nourishment from it. You know what will happen to you after you do that? You'll be hungry again, quick. To enjoy this world, the, 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 the many gifts that are all around us, without seeing through those gifts, the giver who stands behind them is to just pop it in for the little flavor, spit it out and miss the nourishment. If you don't know that, you'll never be satisfied. Uh, yesterday, me and Tim Cornell had the, the sweet privilege of sitting with our brother Marvin Agee for a few minutes in a rehab facility where he's now getting some, some treatment for a, a broken hip. He fell recently. He's 94 years old, and uh, he's not able to, to walk, and it's going to limit him for the rest of his life in all likelihood. And we had the chance to sit and just talk to him about his life. And one of the things that he did to our great joy was just think back on the many gifts that God had given him. He talked on and on wonderfully about a life full of good gifts that he's lived. He talked about this church and the gift that it has been. He talked about his ministry here. He talked about his kids. He especially talked about his marriage to his wife, Joanne. This, thinking back on these gifts brought this precious brother to tears. And for this brother, most of those gifts are past tense. You know, like everything good in this world, trapped in time, those gifts came and those gifts went. But in all those gifts... All those good things in this wonderful created world that Marvin's lived in for 94 years. And all those good things, Marvin took the point. He sees that beneath the goodness of everything in this world that he's enjoyed is the goodness of the God who made this world to share that goodness with us. He sees that God is ultimately good. And he said to Tim and me, it's good to have the Lord with you. Looking ahead to a life that, that won't be easy from here on out. He told us, the Lord is with me, so I'll roll with it. Do you have a resilience like that? Are you satisfied with your life? My friend, it is not too late. If you have breath in your lungs and food in your belly, 
you have an invitation from the God who made you to come to him and to enjoy him forever. It is not too late for you to enjoy that love, even if you've lived every day to this point, completely rejecting the source of that love. If you're not yet a Christian, let me tell you what I mean as I close. The Bible says that God created us for his glory, to enjoy him through this world that he made, to enjoy him and to say so to him and to everybody else, just the way you'd praise a favorite album or your kid's latest recital performance. The Bible says we've also fallen short of that glory, mainly by loving this world as if it's an end in itself, loving this world for what we want from it, rather than seeing God behind it and loving him through it. As Paul puts it in Romans, we we tend to worship the gift rather than the giver. And that's serious. That registers with God. He's jealous for our affection, just like any loving spouse ought to be. And if God had created us to meet needs in him, the most logical response to him, for him, looking on us, failing to honor him, failing to give him the praise that he made us to give him, the most logical response would be for him to just move on and try again. This one didn't work, didn't give me what I wanted, didn't give me what I created it for. I'll go with an upgraded model. But that is not who God is. Friends, God is love. He is at his very essence Love. He created not to get from us, but to give to us freely. So how perfectly consistent with who he is that now, having not been given what, we were made, what he made us to give to him, that he would re- respond not by rejecting us out of hand, but by coming to us in the person of his son. The same love that created this world so loved this world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Friends, this is what John says in 1 John chapter 4. In this, the love of God, the same love that created the world, was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is good news. And it's for every one of you, if you'll have it. Let's pray. Father, we do ask you, by the same spirit that brought life to this world, we do ask you to bring life and love out of our hearts, as cold and hard as they so often may be. We pray that you would help us to see through the beauty and the power of your word what you have done not just to make us but to redeem us. And we pray for faith to believe it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.